Welcome to another episode of the Secret Podcast. I'm here with Bradley and Brett. So we had we had a pretty big trip. We're going to talk about we we made a trip to Cleveland. That was kind of fun. How was how was your weekend, Brett? Did you get to meet Palancar? Uh, I, no, I actually did not. Um, I uh, uh, met a few other people, but the, their names were not Palancar. Us uh, so we met some Palancars. Just so you know, just to rub it in a little bit. I'm just a little bit jealous, and I can't wait to hear about it. So I've got some really weird news. Um, somebody just before we started uh, recording, somebody sent me a message that one of the the members of our Facebook team was uh, possibly shot in New Orleans while looking for the treasure a couple of days ago. It said the story was they were they were metal detecting in a park uh, looking for the cask um, and that they were shot. Uh, the person said that, that the person shot was uh, sort of lived to look for for the cast. It was a big part of their life, and I don't have any updates about it. I don't I don't know any details. It's just sort of what I'm hearing now. I, I just wanted to just just push some safety. Like don't don't like I know it's it's a big thing now with you know getting permission from parks and parks aren't being cooperative. So people are going out at like three o'clock in the morning to dig up their spots in parks. Your 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 life's not worth a cask, man. Don't New New Orleans is a crazy place. Don't go out digging in the middle of a random park in like the Treme at three o'clock in the morning. Think, just be safe. Take somebody with you. Something I don't know. I don't even know how to avoid this. Yeah, be be safe. Be smart. Use common sense and take somebody with you. Um, part of this whole adventure is you know making friends, getting out there with family. Don't don't go out at two a.m. by yourself, no matter where you are. Um, take, take a friend with you, take a light with you. Um, headlamps are a great idea. Uh, make sure you can see what's going on and make sure people can see you. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. And I think it's just like anything. If you're going to go out and do anything at, at two or three o'clock in the morning in a, in a major city, especially, but anywhere, you got to be careful about it. And I'm really, you know, this is a tight community. We all care about each other and we help each other. And if, I know we don't have any details, but um, I really hope this is untrue. But if it is true, I just want to express um, our, our condolences from the podcast and, and, um, you know, if there's anything obviously that we can do to help out, we're there for you. But again, just to reiterate, don't put yourself in harm's way. Yeah. It's important to remember, like, while this is a great hunt to us and it's a very, I don't know, innocent hunt, right? It brings people joy and it brings people happiness. But at the end of the day, some of these are pretty dangerous cities like New York city. It's Manhattan in the middle of the night, New Orleans, New Orleans is one of the most violent cities in the country. So is you know, Milwaukee, Boston, like these are, these can be dangerous places. So just err on the side of safety. Uh, George and I were, were doing um, a little investigating at a site and we, we stumbled across somebody. It was pitch black outside. They did not have a light. Um, luckily we did no idea to this day why they were out there or if it was a person or a ghost, but we stumbled upon somebody and scared the absolute daylights out of myself. And I think George as well. Oh dude, it was, it was so scary. We were walking down. It was in a it was fairly, it's a place that during the day, the public is going to be right. And there are chairs. Um, and this person was just sitting in a chair in the middle of this park. And we're walking around, we're talking, we got our flashlights out and all of a sudden you just hear a hello. And this dude that stood up looks like he was like six and a half foot tall. It was the scariest thing. Yeah. If I wasn't there with George, I, I would have probably just died of a heart attack on the spot. But um, 
luckily I was there with somebody, so I felt a lot safer. And I just said, hey, how's it going? And kept walking. I mean, speaking of that, me and Rachel have been digging out in St. Augustine in the middle of the night and like two drunk dudes pull up in a, a car and start like they didn't see me because I was digging, but they saw Rachel. So they pull up and start like talking shit to Rachel. And then I pull out like I, I kind of wander out from the woods. Uh, I don't know, man. People are weird and these cities are weird and you're out there in the middle of the night. God only knows what could happen. The only time that I've ever dug at night is with you, George. In New Orleans, oddly enough. Yeah, in New Orleans and St. Augustine. And um, probably just like Rachel, I felt uh, a lot safer with you around. Um, I've gone out by myself during the day. um, But, you know, I, I certainly would not go out by myself. But, you know... All of this is, you know, I, I don't want to sound flippant about what happened, and I and, and I really feel awful, and I just want to tell our community and our friends just be be careful and yeah. be safe. It's a terrible thing that that happened. Yes, yeah, so I'm the I'm the I'm the dumb one. Like I'm the do as I say, not as I do guy. Because what was it the 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 time that I went to New Orleans before when before you and I went was the time where I like was digging there was a bunch of homeless dudes around and i asked one of them to hold my gopro and take a picture of me like that was dumb yeah remember that not everyone out in the middle of a big city at two o'clock in the morning are there for you know the same the same reasons you are so we hate starting this podcast on a on sort of a down note but um you know we do want to make sure that it's the first thing we say because we think it's important yeah and um so everybody be safe out there and and bring a friend and you know don't do crazy things at two o'clock in the morning yeah and if you're going to go digging um and you don't have somebody just reach out on the group there we're everywhere there's somebody that will go with you that's right yeah man If you're in St. Augustine, I think there's enough people who have dug in St. Augustine that will verify. If you want to go out digging somewhere at two o'clock in the morning in St. Augustine, call me and I'll come. And there's somebody in every city who will do that. Okay, let's move on to another uh, quick uh, transitional topic. Yeah, so we set up a a voicemail number, essentially. Um, The number is 386-227-7821. Call in, uh, leave us a message with your name and, you know, any questions you have, anything you want to talk about. Um, and if you want, we we will call you. We'll talk to you or we'll text you or whatever we can. Um, maybe if you, if you leave your solve, you want to talk about your solve on the show, we could have you call in. Whatever you want to do. I mean, it's a new, it's just a new thing that we're trying out. A lot of people have sent messages on Facebook, you know, asking for our opinion. And we figured why not give it a more direct approach. We can actually talk about it, right? We could go through your whole solve if you want to and just talk about the pros and the cons, whatever you'd like. What we'd love to have people do is ask questions, tell us about your solve, leave us your phone number if you want to, and uh, we'll, some people will call back and actually talk through your solve. You know, none of us probably have any better answers than, than you do, but at least we can discuss it in, the, in an open forum and, and have it be a little bit more fun. But um, uh, we got, we get five or six voicemails within the first uh yeah several hours of being open yeah we got we got several within the first hours of it being posted so it was great great we're pumped so uh please do call in and it's really exciting and then you know as always we're open to answering questions so if you want to post them in the facebook groups and the podcast page whatever you want post questions we'll try to get to them uh if we think we have a somewhat decent answer we'll we'll, we'll try to we'll we'll try to uh, address it yeah and in addition to that i feel like the the community's given me a lot 
over the past year or so. And I kind of wanted to give something back to the community. We went up and uh, met with JJP recently at one of his uh, galleries and got a bunch of stuff signed. And we've decided to give away some of the signed stuff just for free. You don't have to pay anything. Um, we've got three different it's like artworks it's printed artworks that are signed by jjp we're going to give one to some random person that likes the secret podcast facebook page one to a random person who likes the uh secret podcast instagram account and one to a random person who likes the secret podcast or subscribes to the secret podcast on youtube whoa um and and then we have an actual print sort of it's on paper and it's not huge but it's something that you cannot you absolutely cannot get unless you see uh jjp in person it's one of his prints that he sells at shows signed by jjp we're going to give one of those to one of our patreon members patreon is is like a platform that allows you that one this one costs money patreon is a platform that allows you to sort of support uh projects or communities that you like um and it, it's varying in fees. You can join for like a dollar a month. You can join for $20 a month. It's totally up to you. And all of that money goes back into the show. Like we got to get Brad a new mic. So we're going to get Brad a new mic or hey. <laughs> where uh, all these, all these trips we're taking, we're taking a lot of trips recently, man. Um, number one to get these signed. There's a bunch of people who want us to go out and dig their spots for some reason. So like people who live in Alaska want something dug up in Houston and they don't know anybody in Houston, so they're asking us to do it. So that money is going to be put towards that. It's not like lining our pockets or anything. So anyway, the one, the big, the print that you can only get from JJP himself, and I believe it was like $300 to buy it. I think that's what he said. I'm not real sure. Um, we're going to give that away to a Patreon member. How, uh, so how, what's the format? How are we going to do it? We're just going to pick them at random? Just pick them at random. There's just like we did with the Japanese book. There's websites online where you just go and you put everybody's name in it. Like this, this last one, um, we already said we'd let you choose somebody from the Facebook page to give the, the first one away to. So I'll just later on, you can just randomly pick a name, like go to the Facebook page and the first name you see or whatever. <laughs> just pick somebody and give it away. But the others we're going to put in a random generator and just let it let it do its thing cool i'm up for it that's a lot of pressure and uh so you guys took a trip so about a couple of weeks ago we were going to record this podcast and have it in the books but we decided to pause because you guys were going to go on a trip the two of you tell us a little bit more about uh what you were up to up in up in uh, good old cleveland yeah we had a blast it was a lot of fun um I was lucky enough. George met uh, met me here at our house. Uh, we got to hang out, and then we caravaned up to Cleveland and uh, got to go to. Well, first before uh, the show, we got in touch with Kit, um, and uh, we found out Kit was going to be there as well, um, and uh, got to got to meet JJP and Kit and see JJP's artwork firsthand. And boy, uh, I, I I cannot recommend it enough. If you don't own Origins yet, uh, find a copy. Um, it, his work is amazing. It gives you a, a nice dive into his history, um, his inspirations, his thoughts on art, um, a lot of his works, um, you know, from the beginning to more recently. And just getting to see those paintings in person was, it, it was a real treat. Um, uh, my wife's and I's personal favorite piece is called Becoming Human. Uh, look it up online. It's an absolutely amazing piece, and it does not do the actual uh, piece justice by any stretch of the imagination. 
uh, the first thing JJP actually said whenever we were talking about the piece was, uh, can, can you see the detail that you, you're missing when you're looking in the book or online? And absolutely. Um, I did not know this. I learned this from JJP. Apparently, whenever his works are being published, whoever's working for the publishing company will actually airbrush the art after the fact. Um, it really takes a lot away from it. Uh, so... That, that was my, my personal favorite treat, was getting to see that piece and getting to talk to JJP about it. Um, if anybody wants to bum me $18,000, uh, you know, I'd be happy to uh, give that uh, wonderful piece a home. <laughs> That's awesome. What, so what uh, predicated the trip? Was uh, there some sort of event going on? or So what happened was Bradley stumbled upon a exhibition that JJP was doing. JJP was doing sort of a gallery opening with some of his paintings. And he was just like, I got to go. Uh, and I kind of decided to tag along with him. And that was that was kind of the start of it. Um, we made a plan and we just headed up there. But then when we got there, there were, you know, there were other things we wanted to do. But the main focus was going to that exhibit. We figured seeing JJP's art in person, you know, might might help in. Well, number one, we're both huge fans. Right. So we just wanted to see JJP's art. But then seeing them in person, you, you sort of get a, a feel for how he paints and what he does and, you know, how his style works. Uh, did you guys, uh, uh, so when you walked in, was he there? I mean, this is obviously the first time you guys met him. Oh yeah. Oh man. Talk about a magical moment. So George, myself, Rachel and Laura, my wife, uh, we were uh, standing kind of at the entrance of the gallery, um, uh, talking about, um, you know, what we had just seen, um, talking about the the spread that was available there was uh you know food uh snacks um a cake for somebody who was retiring and then jjp just kind of swifts by uh walks in uh, walks right by us and we all just kind of took a moment you, you could just kind of see all of our heads turn at the exact same time like did that just really happen it was crazy um we saw kit there and we walked up to kit kit super friendly super gracious like it, it was just it was a great night yeah, I can't speak um, more fondly of Kit. Uh, Ed, just super friendly, super kind. Um, wanted to make sure that uh, I pointed out the, the my favorite piece of artwork, and he brought me over to it. And he's like, "I want to point out a few details that you might not have noticed," um, and uh, you know, just just really made sure that our experience was was rich as it could be, and it was. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, except for the time he sort of threw me under the bus where he was like, Hey, have you met my dad? I was like, no, I haven't had a chance to meet your dad. So we both walked over to JJP. JJP is hanging out with his friends talking. Kit taps his dad on the shoulder and goes, this is dude that made the axes and then dipped out. He was just gone. And I'm standing there with my mouth wide open. Like, hi, my name is George. Hi. Like, I, what do you say? What do you say to JJP? Like he's talking to his friends. His kid introduces you to, to him. What do you say? Hello. I'm, I'm the guy that sent you a weapon. Yeah, but it was, it was great. They were all super gracious. Uh, JJP stuck around and talked to us about his art for a, a while after, after the show, right? He, he stayed around for another like half hour after everybody had left. And we were just talking about his art. So in, in looking at his art, what parallels did you find in between what's in the secret and what he had on display? And did you, did you learn anything? That dude really does love dots. 
Like all of his paintings have dots in them. I, I can't, I'm so tired of the dots, the dragons made out of dots, Ergodon or whatever drawn with dots. Everything's got dots in it. Did you count all the dots? I did. And it didn't help. It didn't help at all. It doesn't help. It's just dots, dots everywhere. My life is plagued in dots. Along with dots, I'm sure we've all noticed the uh, blue highlighting uh, in the secrets. And it's always been discussed whether or not that is something that's important. Is that a clue? And if you get to know JJP's artwork, a lot of his artwork, like he has a piece called Return of the King, and it was an illustration done for you know the Hobbit series. And you, you take a look at that, and, and the, the main characters uh, have like an aura of blue, uh, kind of a luminescence. And uh, we talked to JJP about that, and um, he, he made it uh, very clear that uh, it, it's it's just you know to to highlight the the piece of art uh, the the main focus of the art it's actually kind of uh, I, I don't want to say religious he made it a point to say is a, a spiritual sense to it um, if you go into uh, churches that are highly decorated you'll see something very similar and that was kind of his way to put that into his art he's um, very inspired by Salvador Dali that's one of his favorite artists which by the way is Salvador Dali's birthday happy birthday and. And uh, so that's something he took away from Salvador Dali's art as well. And that's one of my favorite things about his paintings um, is that luminescence because it really it just adds a nice flair um, without overpowering the, the image. I, t- I tell you guys, I always thought that that was just to delineate. Um, well, at first I thought when I first looked at, at the images in, in The Secret, I thought it was to uh, to highlight a certain thing because it's super, super important. And then I started looking around at all, you know, going through all of the images. And and I thought that that blue luminescence was then just to delineate um, colors, right? So if something is, is something is, if the forefront picture is black and the thing behind it is black, you have to use some sort of blue hue around the object in front to make sure that you can see it correctly and see the delineation. But it sounds like he's, um, that's just a stylistic effect, right? I, I don't know, man. Coming like as I don't want to call myself an artist because I'm not I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination. But but coming from the background of trying to art, um, I, I, I used to think that JJP paints in washes, right? He doesn't paint like Bob Ross, where you take a big dollop of paint on your brush and just smear it on the canvas. He waters stuff down so much that it's super transparent, right? So you you put a, a layer of of paint on the canvas and it's it's almost clear and then you put 10 or 12 more layers of that same paint and you start to see a color right so that's the way jjp paints and i always thought because of those washes you're not getting a super crisp sort of outline you're getting a little bit of bleeding because you're not putting the maybe you're not putting the layers on in exactly the right place or exactly the same place. So like an arm, if you're painting an arm on someone, it tends to sort of bleed out. So I always thought maybe that blue was to highlight where the edge actually is because of the washes. But having him sit and explain that it's, you know, religiously inspired or from inspired from religious art or whatever, those, those auras and the hues in religious art are important, right? They do denote important things of the paintings. So I, I don't think there's really an, an answer as to whether or not it is or isn't important. I think he's just left us more confused. It's still an argument to make of whether or not it's just his style or if it's his style because it's important. 
I don't know. That helps actually. That gives a little bit of uh, more definition to what we're looking at at the images and in, in the secret. Yeah, but it doesn't really give us an answer. It doesn't really say, like the argument has always been: is this stuff important? And the argument, it's yes, no, whatever. There's been arguments for both, and JJP gave us an answer, and it left us with the same argument. Like we're we're still we're at the same place we started at. For me, it helps a little bit because uh, it makes me think, well, it's not just to delineate kind of what I was saying earlier. It's not just to delineate uh, image, front image to back image. There's actually more to it. Something that's interesting about this, right, is that the more we sort of learn about the secret, the more religion plays into it. Um, months and months and months and months ago, uh, one of the members of the Facebook page made a pretty good argument that the um the uh the fair folks tale in the beginning of the book directly correlated with the 12 tribes of israel right and the person i can't remember who made it was it gabby or i think it was gabby she put out a huge pdf right like how uh different aspects of the shields of each tribe were represented in each painting and it was sort of dismissed but the more that we learn about these the more religion's playing a weird role and that's something that needs to be taken another look at agreed um did you ask him about that <laughs> yeah yeah we did that's not going in the podcast <laughs> so i would like to mention so george was talking about technique just a few moments ago and one of the biggest treats that we got while we were there is kit was so graciously graciously invited us to attend one of his classes um kit teaches professionally not only um, at the college, but also at the Cleveland Museum of Art. And we got to sit in on one of his um, acrylic classes and just getting to see him in action um, and getting to see his technique going to work was just an absolute treat. Um, you know, learning about what George was talking about, washes, um, different layers of paint to create the, you know, the final piece, um, one of my favorite things that he taught me during that was be a master of your tools. Don't let your tools rule you rule your tools. Um, for instance, you know, don't be afraid to turn your piece upside down. If it's going to make it easier to paint that way. If you have a dull pencil, sharpen it. Don't lose your lines, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so don't be a lazy painter and don't let your piece, you know, rule how you, how you paint. And also, don't be afraid to make a mistake. Um, it was awesome just to see him take a toothbrush and dip it in paint and then dip it in water and then sprinkle it onto the painting. Um, and just the effect that that added made all the difference. It was it was amazing to watch that. And, um, and so it was very gracious of him to allow us to do that. And it was, it was a great opportunity for me to learn. Um, I'm not an artist by any stretch of imagination. George, I'm going to have to disagree with you. You are an amazing artist. Um, and I love it every time you post work. Please keep it up. Um, but that, that was an amazing experience for me to learn from. If you have a chance to take one of Kit's classes, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you they're cheap. They're not, but they're worth every single dollar. It, it, it's so helpful just to get in the mind of a painter and figure out not just why something was painted, but how it was painted. The process of, of the painting is just as important as, as the finished product, at least sometimes. I think, especially with the secret, knowing, knowing how the secret paintings were painted, um, could give you a, a, you know, a glimpse into where clues are laid out, how they're laid out, maybe how, how they're painted a little differently, that kind of thing, if that makes sense. But there's no way to really know that unless you know the process of the painting. Another treat that I got to experience while we were there at the art museum 
um, they were selling JJP's Game of Thrones calendar. And I'll be honest, I'm a little ashamed of myself. I didn't buy it when it came out because A, I've never seen Game of Thrones. And B, I thought, hey, it's a calendar. It can't be that great. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm dead wrong. And if you haven't already purchased this calendar, you need to go out and buy it. The artwork in this calendar is absolutely breathtaking. Whether you enjoy Game of Thrones or not, um, this is frameable work. Go out, buy a calendar, buy two, one to keep, one to frame. But it's 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 absolutely amazing. Plus, there's one frame that Kit posed for, um, was was the model for for JJP to paint, and I think you'll really really enjoy that one. Yeah, yeah. JJP made a big point to talk about the pig's ass a lot. He he calls it that's the painting that Kit uh, modeled for. He calls it the pig's ass. Um, and he, he talks about the Game of Thrones people being like, why, why would you, why would we put a pig's ass in the calendar? It's a great painting. It's, uh, we got a copy of it signed actually by Kit. Awesome. Yeah. So today I learned that, uh, JJP, uh, likes to openly promote the pig's ass. And also Bradley is, I think the only person on the planet that has not seen Game of Thrones. I feel like we're just pimping the palancars right now. Buy his book, buy his art. There's my my favorite painting. There was called Ghost Punch, and it was like sixty thousand dollars. Buy it. We got to crowdfund that. I got to buy like an original palancar though, and that was super cool. It, it was Kit. It was one of Kit's paintings. The painting that we watched Kit paint, I got to buy. Like, and I love it because it's just fruit. It's like a orange and an apple and a pear. And that's all it is, but it's done by Kit and it's done like the thing that I love about Kit's art is it's, it's angry, right? Kit's art is angry and, and vicious and, and like hard. So even, even looking at fruit, you can tell Kit did it because the fruit, like the, the lines are just so hard and crisp and it's, it's hard to explain, but I love it. What's the major difference between the two of their styles? Kit paints in oil. Yes. I don't, I don't, I think that's like, um, Kit's paintings are very, I don't, they're not, they're not fast. I like, but they're, they're harsh. They're, they, they show like, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not an art critic, but I would say Kit's paintings are kind of angsty. They're very angry, um, with very hard, crisp lines and very deep, dark colors, uh, where JJP stuff is very like, it, you know, thousands and thousands of layers of washes to make intricate tiny details kind of thing while we're in uh pimping the palancars i like that that should be a tv show pimping the palancars um so jjp will have a shop open again in the future online um where he plans on selling prints that he has decided to do this in-house and this is something i learned i was speaking about it a little bit earlier about uh, publishers airbrushing his work and then printing and then selling. Um, and he was not a big fan of that. So he has set up at his, at his studio where he's now able to replicate his own works and do his own prints. So he's, we're not losing that quality of the original painting and who he, he'll have a site up um, sooner than later where he's going to be selling those. And in the meantime, while we're waiting on that kit, you can't. You don't just have to take our word for it. Go to his website. He has all of his works there. He has his uh, charcoal. He has his oils, and they're all breathtaking. You know, the average person can't get up to to Cleveland and and go uh, check this stuff out and and talk to them. Like, how can we? You know, how can people like me own a piece of that? Yeah. Um, according to Kit, 
the large majority of the pieces he puts on his website are for sale. Um, so if you see a piece that really moves you, private message him, email him, and um, you know he'll probably work something out with you. And if you want to buy an actual JJP and you've got $40,000, I'm sure you can figure out a way to get in touch. I'm ready to go. I got my credit card ready. Uh, okay, so what I thought we'd touch on now is talk about um, your guys. So you guys, you guys went to Cleveland, and then you went out and you went to the actual big site where one of the casks was found. Is that right? Well, why not, right? I mean, if you're in Cleveland, you might as well go to the Cleveland dig site. I mean, it's it's really good to get a sense of how the puzzle worked. Like you, you already know the answer, right? You you know the solution to the puzzle. Um, it's a really good idea to, you know, sort of walk through it and see exactly how it worked. Like that's definitely going to help you in the rest of the puzzle. So if you're ever in Cleveland, you're ever in Chicago, stop by the cultural garden, stop by Grant Park and just walk through the puzzle and see exactly how it worked. Um, it'll give you tips to how the rest of them work. I assure you. Um, but yeah, and, and another thing was when Byron, when, when Brian dug in Cleveland, he left like half his cask in the hole. His cask was broken. It was destroyed. And when he went to try to put it back together, he only had literally like half of the pieces. So we figured we'd try to find some of them. So we dug up half of the the planner, the cultural gardens, trying to find more pieces of the cask. And I don't I don't know that we found any. We found some that kind of looked like it, right, Brad? But not Oh, George, we, we found enough to make three casks. Well the cool the the cool thing about the cultural gardens is it's it's a it's a planner, right? And it's it's all like i mean it's clay but it's clay that's been gone through and most of the rocks are gone out of it you're not going to be hitting huge boulders or really even little pebbles so we just kind of went through and anything that we found we pulled out we pulled out glass we pulled out parts of the walls facade we pulled out little rocks and i don't know there were a couple of pieces where i would say yeah maybe that's part of the cask i don't know we're, we still have to have them looked at yeah, we'll we'll post photos of what we found. Um, and yeah, the glass was one of my favorite finds. There were some really interesting pieces of glass. And I'm not talking about plexiglass. I'm talking about green glass, brown glass. But one of my favorite pieces was a piece of clear glass um, with a neat hexagonal design on it and the word cola. Um, and no telling how long that's been there, but it's a really neat little piece. And uh I think my wife is actually going to help me put together um, a nice little art tribute to our, our venture with the, the stones we found and the broken pieces of glass. Did you guys uh, run into any people that were wondering what you were doing digging in a planter out there? No, we actually had a, a park employee walk right past us and didn't even give us a second glance. Yeah, I didn't care. Um, we called ahead. We, we, you know, we're advocates of getting permission. So we called ahead and uh, we told them exactly what we wanted to do. Uh, wanted to know when, you know, if we could, when would be the best time, et cetera. And they pretty much told us, hey, as long as there's not an event going on, because when you go to visit that, you'll you'll see it. It's a nice place for a wedding and a lot of um, events happen right at that spot. So as long as the event's not going on, nobody cares. Just don't, don't mess up the plants and don't uh, make a mess. Just clean up after yourselves. So that's what we did. And indeed, nobody cared. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of nice. So, uh, so uh, uh, nothing, nothing of note so far, or maybe, or maybe not. Or what, what do you guys think? What do you guys think that you found a little piece? It's possible. I, I, I did reach out uh, to Brian and ask if um, he would be okay if I sent him the pieces we found, and so he can compare. 
I haven't gotten a response yet. Um, but as soon as I do, if he's okay with that, uh, we'll, we'll get his opinion and, uh, see what he thinks. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are some pieces that could be, but it's real hard to say. Yeah, man, it's been, it's been 40 years, man. It's, they're all caked up with clay and mud and there's some that are shaped. They're, they're, they're not rocks. Like, I don't know what they are, but they're not rocks. If that helps. There was a moment that I really, really appreciated when, um, if you've researched Cleveland, you've seen the photos of Brian. Um, and after he finds his cask, he goes over to the fountain and he's washing his cask off in the fountain. And there was a moment where George and I were washing these pieces off in the fountain. It was a special moment because we're doing exactly what Brian did. And it was, it, it felt nice. That's, uh, if anything we're getting from this is just, we're, we're getting brought together as friends and that's kind of a, that's sort of a cool callback to Brian and Andy. That's awesome. So in terms of going in, finding that location where the actual cask was, did you guys learn anything about, uh, what, you know, what goes into the other puzzles or what it went into that puzzle or. I think we learned some little tiny little hints. Um, we kind of confirmed that the uh, the words on the monument being backwards and the words in the verse was what told you you needed to, you know, reverse the left to right counting of the bricks in Cleveland. So that was helpful to know that that's how that twist was solved. Um, we found out that MLK Boulevard is uh, so in the painting for Cleveland inside the fountain thing in the painting. Uh, there's a bell with the L. Everybody always thought it was Liberty Bell, obviously. Um, we found out that MLK Boulevard uh, just used to be called um, Liberty Boulevard and just either just prior to or right after the book was published, it was changed over to MLK Boulevard. So that that clue was sort of pointing towards that, pointing towards Liberty Boulevard. So it was a, it was a couple of little just clarifications that sort of helped out a little. Yeah, finding things out um, really, uh, really helps us appreciate uh, Byron really did a good job of putting these puzzles together Um, because for a while there especially for cleveland it looked like oh did he make a mistake Uh, was this just bad puzzle making uh, that you had to count the other direction Uh, but in this visit we were able to discover no that this was 100 percent intentional and byron was a master of his craft um, and putting these puzzles together everything had a reason and one thing i really loved about uh learning is that when that road changed from Liberty to MLK, Byron's response was, oh, that's great. It's going to be even harder. Wow. Okay. Uh, does it help us with anything, any any of the unfound ones? Yeah, I think it does. Um, so, I mean, we're, we were able to talk to JJP a little bit, right? And we didn't really ask him for any clues. I mean, I always feel like if you, this is a puzzle, right? If you're asking for clues, that's kind of cheating. And why cheat? Uh, but we wanted to know about Byron, as, as, me especially, because I feel like in this community, I get asked a lot, like, what would Byron do? Would Byron do this or would Byron do that? And I have to make judgment calls. Like, would Byron destroy a national park? Would Byron break into a would Byron break into the Fountain of Youth in the middle of the night to bury a cask? I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about Byron, but I have to make this judgment call. So it's a big deal to me to, to try to find out something about Byron. So I. I I had a little conversation with JJP uh, about Byron. And one of the things that I found out was that nothing in this puzzle is accidental. Nothing, nothing is accidental. Um, he did not make a mistake. Like in Cleveland, that wasn't a mistake. You had to figure that out. 
so that was something very important that we learned. No, this wasn't like a fly by night. I just want to make some money on a book. Uh, no, contrary to what I've been telling people for years now, Byron wasn't just a bad puzzle maker. Like what he said was intentional. So if there's something in the book, it's correct. Like there's no accident. There's no randomness. There's no accidents. It's, it's there for there on purpose. No, yeah. This puzzle was, was done meticulously. Hmm. You need what is there. There are no accidents. I'm not sure what I like better. Yeah. me neither. Random. Like I, it, it kind of threw me for a loop, right? I've, I've gone this entire time just going, Oh, Byron's just bad at puzzles. Finding out he's not is kind of a world changer. Yeah. It really is. Uh, it's slightly distressing yet encouraging at the same time, because I, I, I've gone this whole time thinking that there's some master plan behind this whole thing. And if we just figure it out, it's going to unlock everything. Right. And the, I'm, I'm a little bit encouraged to hear that there is some sort of master plan behind the whole thing. Do we want to talk at all about Expedition Unknown? What would you want to talk about? I don't know. I mean, uh, there was an article in the paper. It seems like we can't not talk about it. What? Uh, okay. What's the article say? Well, it, it, there was there was an article pu- published recently that Expedition Unknown would be digging in White Point Gardens. Apparently, I mean, Expedition Unknown's making a new episode. I mean, it's been kind of rumored, right? that expedition was making a new episode, but this kind of confirms it. They're actually making a new episode. Um, and it's going to feature Charleston Somebody on um, Facebook posted that, uh, another person posted an Instagram. I know it's a, he said, she said, but, um, somebody posted on Instagram, a selfie with Josh Gates somewhere in, uh, Charleston. Yeah. And there, there's a, there's another guy that's, um, been pushing pretty hard that they're digging one of his saws they're using i think it's verse seven to dig near the sundial i mean he's published that everywhere so i guess it's okay to talk about right so so there's a guy and he's been he's posted it on quest for treasure he posted it on instagram posted it on facebook that he sent in his solved expedition unknown and that's what they're digging up and i don't i mean i you know far be it for me to tell anybody that they're wrong but it's, it's not right. It's, I, I don't understand it, I, I guess is um, what I'm saying. I'm trying to find the solve now. So they're using verse, they're using verse five, right? They're using lane 222. You'll see an arc of lights, weights and roots extended, blah, 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 blah. Um, and he's digging at the end of White Point Gardens where the compass is. And the gist, the gist of it is at a certain time on a certain date, you know, with the sun in a certain place, it's going to give you a uh, shadow where you have to walk a certain f- amount of feet away from the shadow to dig in this one. Like it's one of those, it's kind of far reaching, right? It's hard to explain to people. I, I, I see where he went wrong. See what he's doing is he's using that with a book called masquerade. Uh, he just needs to stick to the secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's mixing up uh, his hunts. He's mixing them up. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. Like, there, so there's been a bunch of questions recently, like how did we pair each painting with each city? How did we pair each verse with each city? And it's pretty basic, right? When it comes down to paintings, it's really easy. There's latitude and longitude coordinates. Like if we didn't know there were latitude and longitude coordinates, it would be difficult in some cases. Charleston's not one of the cases where it would be difficult. 
in the painting, there is a giant picture of Charleston. So we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this huge lion painting, that's the Charleston painting. But when you, when you get into verses, it's a little trickier, at least it was for a while until, you know, Google came out. Um, the way people put these, the majority of these verses together was they just started Googling them like in Charleston, in Cleveland, right? Cleveland was found because some guy randomly Googled, um, Socrates Pindar Napelis, right? We found that monument, that link to the painting. There you go. Boom. Charleston's easy too. Like, uh, I think it was Forrest Blight who found the book abroad in America, right? Charleston and New Orleans verse have two very specific lines in them. They have the Charleston has Edwin and Edwina named after him. New Orleans has, um, um, here is a sovereign people who build palaces to shelter their heads for the night. Both of those lines come from a very specific book. They come from abroad in America. And both of those lines talk about their respective cities. Uh, that specific, the, the, uh, here's a sovereign people who build palaces to shelter their heads for the night is talking about the St. Charles hotel in new Orleans. That being in that, that line coming from a book talking about new Orleans being in a verse, it's fairly obvious that that's talking about new Orleans. And it's the same for Charleston. Charleston's got Edwin and Edwina named after him in the same book and abroad in America. It talks about two, two uh, children, Edwin and Edwina being named after someone we can, if, if the book has a quote, if, if the secret has a quote from a book that puts something in a very specific city and then it has another one putting it in another, you, you can trust both of those are going to put you in the correct cities, right? To top it off, the Charleston verse has May 1913, which is a direct quote to another, um, to a, a monument in White Point Gardens. Like these, this is how the verses got put to the cities. Little things that couldn't be coincidences, right? This verse or this line from this verse being on this monument, this line from this verse being in this park. The, they're pretty set in stone. You can't just swap them around because if you, if you swap in the, the Montreal verse for Charleston, all of a sudden the Charleston verse has got to go somewhere and Montreal doesn't have a verse. Like you can't swap one with the other without swapping everything around. And it ultimately doesn't make sense. It stops making sense. It's just, it's, it's weird to me that like some things you can argue, you can argue, you can argue Montreal. I think you can argue the verse and the painting if you want to. Well, we know there's one in St. Louis. Yeah. So, well, uh, St. Louis is weird, right? Like St. Louis is in the book. St. Louis is in the secret in multiple, multiple times. And Byron Price did an interview in St. Louis. I, I'm like, I'm, con I'm confused. Why isn't there one in St. Louis? Is there one in St. Louis? You could still argue Montreal is St. Louis, but you really can't argue Charleston. You can't argue Fort Sumter and the latitude and longitude in the painting. You can't argue the quote from abroad in America. You can't argue May 1913 on the monument. You just, you can't, there's no way to argue it. It seems so obvious. Why would you use anything else? Right. Yeah. I don't think you can argue uh, San Francisco either. It's like Houston. You can't argue the 982. You can't argue that. No. And the fact that uh, Byron himself said that there is one in, in Houston and that we weren't uh, too far away from it, right? Yeah, yeah. So so there's this, uh, there's this person. I'm going to read you a comment from the, uh, uh, from the website. There's this person. Her name is Jackie. Um, she's been posting a lot 
on on 12treasures.com. And her recent her recent um, comment is, I'll just read it verbatim. Uh, listening to the Houston podcast, Byron Price was pissed. Pissed because no one read the fucking book. It's been 30 years and no one bothers to read the book. You telling everyone, fuck the story and the book has nothing to do with the hunt. He wrote the book to teach people about events and people and movements that made America. The presidents, democracy, explorers, Native Americans, the abolitionists, the suffragists, writers and wars. But fuck that. Don't bother to figure out the puzzle. Get a shovel and dig up a zoo because there's a camel in the picture. By the way, the camel is a reference to the United States Camel Corps of Arizona. He was pissed. Hell, I'm pissed at you telling people to get a shovel and start digging. You're not even in the right state. I can't in- listen to any more of your podcast. Look, Houston. Oh, my God. Houston is the one city where Byron Price said, yep, you're in the right place. It's the one city where Byron Price said, yep, it, it wouldn't be a waste of time to dig there. Right. You have a verse with the the same number as the train that's sitting in the park. You have a painting with the latitude and longitude coordinates for Houston. Like, I get it. The book, it's not that the book doesn't matter, right? And I have told people, I was like, you don't, you don't really need the book. You just need the paintings and the verses. Byron said, you just need the painting and the verses. The book helps. Like there is a, there is an overarching puzzle to the book that helps, but just because I think her argument is in the beginning of the book, there's a map of where the fair people came from and where they went. Right. And her argument is where they went is where you're supposed to be digging, but that's not really the case. No, that isn't the case. And the other thing is that we have two found casks, right? We've got Chicago, we've got Cleveland. Um, I would say those make her argument null and void. Yeah, I don't. Chicago and Cleveland weren't in the were, were they in the the Fair People's uh, voyage? I'm not even sure. I'd have to look that up. I didn't see him in there. I, not that I recall. But the the point is, is that um, you know it sounds like yet another case of somebody coming in and telling us, you know, telling everybody how wrong everybody is without really saying why they're no, right. No, I get it, man. People fixate on one little thing with the puzzle, right? And they do it. They, you have to take this puzzle as a whole. You have to take each city as a whole. People focus on like, like South Carolina has a citadel, and there's a verse that talks about a citadel. Let's put them both together. But that's not like it doesn't. There's more convincing things in other verses, right? There's there's threads that connect everything together, and all of those threads have to be connected, or like it can't just be one. It's got to be multiple or it just doesn't work. It just falls on its face. That's right. That's right. Now, I uh, am under the impression that there is a possibility we have one or two of the, ver- you know, the common not or the commonly held theories uh, are that, uh, you know, this verse fits with this city. I think a few of the verses might have some, you know, could be swapped into some of the other uh, to some of the other cities, but in general, I pretty much agree with the commonly held knowledge. Yeah. Right? You know, I got to tell you it that. would be tricky to swap a verse, right? You could argue, you could argue locations a little bit. You could argue that the Montreal verse and the Montreal painting point to a different city. But so over the years, 
these have been put together in the way that makes most sense within the puzzle. And if you change one thing, you basically have to change it all, right? You basically have to say the latitude and longitude, that, that doesn't matter, right? The stuff that's on uh, in the Charleston verse that's on the Charleston monuments, that doesn't matter. The uh, You have to say that the quotes from abroad in America, that's, you know, that's a coincidence. The quotes from Moby Dick and, and you know, the cast being in Herman Park, that's a coincidence. You have to say all of these things are coincidence just so your one thread will work, right? Just so your one little idea, just so you can change everything around because of your one idea. It doesn't make any sense. That's called looking at it like a scavenger hunt rather than an actual puzzle. Right. And and I get it, man. You get this idea in your head and it's happened to me so many times. You get this idea in your head and you and you're like I'm the first person that's found this and everybody else is wrong and I've got to tell everybody. I mean, you've got to take everything in context. You've got to take the picture as a whole. You can't just look at this one little thing. So on top of that, uh... yeah, I don't think we can say that. We shouldn't say no. that. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I, I'm, shit, I would love to say that, though. <laughs> I totally am. Oh, man. I would, I would have to get permission, and I don't even want to begin that conversation. No worries. Um while we're on topic of the book um, and reading from cover to cover, uh, yes, uh, that that is something I completely agree with her about. Um, you you want to get this book, um, 12treasures.com. You can see, uh, I believe we have the entire book available yeah. there. And you, you read the stories. Uh, I mean, it's entertaining, first of all. There's some great laughs. Um, but yes, read it from cover to cover. Um, there, there is a, the whole book is the puzzle. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not a great book. Like it's not like it, it's tough to get through in some points because it's written in a difficult way and it's written in a weird way. It's written in a way that someone who's making a puzzle would write a book, right? Some of it doesn't make sense. There's some words that probably shouldn't be there. There's some stuff that's misspelled. There's some punctuation that's used in a weird way. There's some weird call outs to odd people that you wouldn't expect. And there's quotes from random books that you wouldn't expect. Exactly, George. And I hate to cut you off there, but that is why I think there is an overarching puzzle in the entire book. No, there, there totally is. And, and everything's written in a formulatic way, right? Everything is formula. When you go to the back of the book, it's choppy. It's organized in a certain way. There are sections set up in certain ways because there's call outs within the text outside of the verse and the images that when combined give you hints. Yeah. I mean, like, when you're going to the back of the book, like the guide to the fair folk, right? Everything's set up in sections. You've got range, habitats, history, spotters tips. You've got these for each of these, each of these fair folk, you know, that are referenced. Some of them referenced throughout the story. We know for a fact that in the beginning of the book, the, the we know for a fact that the, what we call the minor images, the images that are in the back of the book, we know for a fact that some of them contain hints, right? Because we found, we found some of them. We know for a fact that the art and the borders of the beginning of the book contain sense. There's one uh, just randomly page, I don't know, 33 has a picture of a moccasin with an eagle on it. That eagle is, you know, featured prominently on a sign at the 
the the children's zoo in in Herman Park, right? We know there are hints all throughout the book, right? It's 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 foolish to just focus on the the verse and the paintings. And I, I say that knowing full well that I've told people all you need are the verse and the paintings. But I guess in some ways that's true too, right? Like Brian, Andy, and and the guys from Quest for Treasure, they found Cleveland with just the verse and the painting. Robin Eric found found Chicago with just the verse and the painting. But we also know that these clearly you don't need them, right? Well, you might, you might, because we know that there's sort of a hierarchy to the puzzles, right? We know that some are harder than the others. So maybe there are some that you don't need anything from the book. Maybe there are some you need every. Okay, but weren't uh, Cleveland and Chicago in the hierarchy of difficulty supposed to be a little bit harder uh, than some of the ones that haven't been found? I mean, nobody really knows, right? Nobody really knows what that hierarchy is. Nobody's figured it out. And maybe the book tells you. Who knows? Wasn't it ranked on the the uh, the the value of the jewel? Yeah, but it, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, okay, yeah, I get it. It's ranked on, ranked on the value of the jewel, but only the person who has the jewel knows what the value is. A huge emerald is going to be worth more than a tiny diamond. Exactly, and and that's one thing up for debate. I know that 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 is one of the commonly held theories that uh, it ranks in terms of difficulty, in terms of the uh, the relative uh, value of the gem associated with the city. Um, but you know, San Francisco is the pearl. And supposedly the pearl is the lowest in value. Yeah, but in the book, in the book, it, it shows gems in the book, right? And it doesn't just show one pearl. It shows a pearl necklace. And, and it would be kind of foolish just to hand you one pearl if you found a cask. I mean, you don't really know. I, I mean, I don't think that was, when Byron said that it was ranked in, in terms of value of the gems, I, I don't think that was his way of saying, here's how you can rank each individual, the the, the difficulty of each individual um each individual city and put them in order. I think what he's trying to say is like, when you're solving this, your reward is, is directly related to how much you have to put into the puzzle. If you just happen to be working on the one in New York and that's the one that's worth the most, you're going to get the most reward. He didn't want us to rank them in order of easiest to hardest. He just wanted to reward the person with the value of the work that they put into the puzzle. I don't think you'll ever know the ranking until they're all solved. And you, well, even then you won't know because probably don't have his original gems. You probably don't know how much each one's worth. Yeah. And by the way, difficulty is relative, especially now. So we're 40 years out, something like that. Like uh, who knows what's the most difficult at this point? And it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. If you're looking an easy puzzle to solve, San Francisco is not easy. It's not easiest. And, and, <laughs> you know, if you think it is, then, then, then go grab it. But I, I don't, you know, I don't think San Francisco is an easier puzzle than anything yeah, else. Yeah, could you imagine how hard before Google came around and before we found abroad in America, can you imagine how hard it would be to to take the New Orleans verse and pair it to New Orleans just because of, you know, the jewels are bound or whatever? Like, no, it took us um it took us getting that quote. That quote from abroad in America to go, This is New Orleans. I mean, a place where jewels abound, 15 rows down to the ground, like that could be anywhere. The the obscure literary references in this thing are mind-boggling. 
and it really scares me. I consider myself a you know fairly well-read person, emphasis on the fairly. I mean, like the, the, the person that found that, hats off to them. That would be Forrest Blight. Forrest Blight, we love you. You're that amazing. He's like a librarian for the secret. Everything that's ever, like he's got it all. He's he's the one that found uh, medieval scarecrow and the Japanese. Like he finds everything. Like him and Golden Gate should be like a superhero duo. Hey Bradley, I have a question for you. I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, what's the next cask that's going to be found? Oh, that that's easy. Um, that is going to be Saint Augustine. I have no oh, doubt. Uh, bold, yeah. very uh, bold. I'm going to break a fucking leg finding that one. <laughs> who's it, who's it going to be? Is it going to be George or somebody else? It, it's going to be George and whoever he goes out digging with. It's going to be somebody else, man. I'm... Um, and George, it's okay if you break a leg because you're going to take somebody with you and they're going to be able to call 911 for you. It's going to be George with a candlestick in the ballroom. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say Roanoke, but uh, Roanoke's off limits, guys. Um, I I feel like I have Roanoke in the bag, but uh, unfortunately, that bad boy is off limits. So uh, thanks to whoever destroyed the park um, during the break. And um, hopefully we can we can mend ways with the park and, and get back out there and work on that. Uh, but since that's off limits, I'm saying St. Augustine. Last I heard from Roanoke, they've got cameras on all the trails. They've got cameras out in the common areas. They've got cameras at the overlook. They've got like a seismic monitor. That, that tells you when you, I don't even know how that shit works, but they've got something that tells them when digging is occurring. They've got constant monitor. They've got people constantly wandering around monitoring the area. They have, um, uh, uh, rangers that are dressed as just tourists. Like it's crazy out there right now. Please leave Roanoke alone. Yeah. Don't touch Roanoke, uh, or San Francisco. Just kidding. I just want to be the person to find San Francisco. It's never going to happen. Right. It's been found. Yeah. The Frenchman beat you to it. It it sucks that, like, the one thing that I hate more than anything is that up until a year and a half ago, every single park was, you know, they weren't super accommodating, but they were okay. You wanted, like, I used to tell people, like, I can, I can get you permission because I've never had a problem before. Like, I just, I call a dude and, and he lets you dig. Now it's really hard. Like nobody, because people just go in and just destroy things whenever they want. Nobody is being cooperative. Every single city is cut off. You can't do anything in Charleston. Like New or New Orleans officially won't let you do anything. Milwaukee won't let you do anything. New York won't let you do anything. Boston won't even, Boston won't even talk to Boston. Won't even talk to EU. That's how bad it is. Like Josh Gates is from Boston. He wants nothing more than to dig up the Boston cask. And they're like, no, even filming and paying us money. You can't do anything here. The fountain of youth shut down. That's, that's probably the most heartbreaking because John Frazier loves this hunt. John Frazier loves it to the core. It's his, like it, it brings him so much joy and that park's just shut down. Like it, it kills me, man. It kills me that we've just, we've destroyed the reputation of the hunt so bad that these parks are just like, no, we're not going to deal with it anymore. So when George and I dug in Cleveland um, to search for the, uh, the possible remnants, this is, this is how we handled it. We took some buckets 
there was some nice mulch over the over the soil so we collected the mulch first put it in a bucket did our digging refilled our holes in made sure we didn't get dirt everywhere we we made nice little piles um it's always it's even a good idea if you're gonna be digging somewhere take a tarp with you if you don't have an easy place to put the soil put the soil on the tarp make sure you filled that hole back in make sure it's nice and even just like it was we poured the mulch back on you couldn't even tell we were there do the same be respectful these parks these landmarks these are beautiful places uh, if you get to the cultural gardens don't just go to see that plot visit the entire cultural gardens um, when you go to roanoke don't go to dig but when you go to roanoke take time walk around the entire park go to elizabethan gardens learn the rich history go to the um the festival park uh right across the way from uh from the fort raleigh there's rich history there's beautiful artwork for you guys to go out there and see and enjoy um, that's the reward of the hunt in my personal opinion making these friends getting to experience these places and learning about where we all came from. Yeah. And I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. Like a lot of people have asked me how you get permission and I'll just tell people, um, cause maybe it'll help you, uh, back years and years and years and years ago, I worked for parks and rec, um, in Florida and I worked for a park that was archeologically sensitive. It was an Indian burial ground. That was all it was. It was a big, huge empty field with an Indian burial ground right in the middle of it. A huge mound. Um, when you're in Florida, Florida's super flat. And when you see these random hills just out in the middle of nowhere, odds are Indians are buried there. What they do is they would they would dig a little bit of a hole, they would bury their dead, and then they would cover them in oyster shells. And they would just keep making layers, and it would, it would end up in this big hill of just oyster shells and, and dead people, basically. So I always preface with, um, when, I, when I ask for permission, I say, hey, this is why I want to dig. Um, I know it sounds a little crazy or whatever, but I, I give them like a snippet of, of my reasoning. And then I tell them, this is what I want to do. I want to bring in a shovel and I want to dig X size of a hole. I'll have a bucket with a sifter, which is basically like a little metal grate that you pour the dirt into. And that like the dirt falls through the sifter and anything that's like a rock or a bone or an artifact or whatever stays on top. Right. So you take all of that stuff that stays on top, you put it to the side, you dig your hole until the bucket's full. You put your, your dirt back in the hole. Like you leave it as if you had never been there. And then anything you find, you just give back to the park, right? If you come in with a plan like that, if you tell them, this is, this is how I want to dig, but this is also how I want to protect your, your land. They're more than likely going to, you know, they're going to see that you're, you're serious about number one, protecting the park and, and doing things officially. You, you got a better chance than if you're just like, Hey, there's a treasure in your park and I want to come dig up the whole area. There's an old saying that um, you may have read on a park sign at some point or something, but it's very simple. It's a little cheesy, but it, it's it's a great takeaway. Take nothing and leave only footsteps. Yeah. Now, of course, if you find the cast, take it. But other than that, take nothing and leave only footsteps. And that's that's the thing that I see that that most people have a problem with. They go in to these parks with this grand grand idea, right? Whether it's right or wrong, it's this grand huge idea. Like, hey, I found this treasure in your park and blah, blah, blah. And they, they just blow it up. And they, they sort of, whether they want to or not, they sound kind of crazy to the parks department. Because the parks department doesn't know anything about these. You know, they don't, they don't care. They just, they don't want extra work. They don't want their parks damaged. So if you go in with a, like a cohesive plan and you tell them, this is how I want to do it. This is how I want to protect your park. That's your best bet. 
the, the you know the other thing is that uh, people don't really they're not we're, none of us in this community are like professional diggers so we don't really know so we're if you're gonna sneak into a place at three o'clock in the morning um and expect to like be pulling out some cask that was buried there like you know 40 years ago it, it it's probably not going to happen you really got to plan it you got to know what your spot is these things are smallish relative to the area that you're searching in and you know don't just grab a shovel shovel and go and go like dig somewhere you really got to figure out the puzzle first yeah but i mean i i no i get i get just going and digging too like if you got an idea by all means go dig it but get permission and be like respectful about it like i think if you're passionate about your spot you can make someone else passionate about your spot you can do it without coming across as crazy and you can do it without destroying the park and doing all that together they'll probably let you dig but it's when you come in just guns blazing like i'm going to do this whatever or if you've you know went to the park and put a probe in the ground a thousand times and the park rangers have come by and seen that someone's been probing and then you're like you know i want to come dig your park no they're not going to let you do it like you, you have to show respect for the parks um, okay, so I got I got a couple of questions from the website. Are you guys? Do you guys want to answer a couple of questions from uh, from listeners? Let's do it. Uh, Bradley, this one is for you. Um, Devin asks if I am new to this hunt, how should I first get going with it, and what should be my approach? Jesus Christ, that's a big question. So Devin, the first thing I would say, and we kind of covered it earlier, is make sure you read the book. Take a look at the images. Take a look at the verses. Read through the book. It's not an easy read. Some of it is very enjoyable. Some of it, you're wondering why it's there. But read the book. And before you start reading other people's solves and other people's ideas, start with a fresh slate. See what you can come up with. And then after you've you know, given it some thought, you know, pick your favorite uh, image, your favorite verse, come up with something. Talk to a friend, talk to somebody on the Facebook page um, and say, hey, this is what I think uh, and, and share your thoughts. Don't be afraid if uh, somebody uh, wants to play devil's advocate with you and, uh, you know, help you think through your verse, um, think through your solve, uh, because that's that's what we're here for. If uh, if we all just said absolutely you're right to every solve, then uh, we wouldn't be doing each other any favors. We wouldn't get anywhere. So be open to feedback and uh, most of all, have fun with it. Um, include your family, include your friends and, um, just have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. If you come out like, fuck you, you're wrong. And I found the key to this odds are you're going to be ignored. Right. I, like God, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, fuck you. Everything you've said is wrong. So you shouldn't come in horns out thinking I have been studying this for 20 minutes and I already know where a cask is and you guys are all wrong and I'm right. And here's why everything is great in my world and why you guys all suck. Um, you're, you're probably not going to be well received in any of the forums that we've got. Right. So just do your homework and, and really understand, like, go back and look at what other people have uh, have guessed before and have have uh, the other people solves and get an understanding for it. And just come in, come in being cool and ask for criticism and people will, will be cool to you. If you're if you're an asshole 
and you come in and you say, I know where it is and you guys are all wrong and, and ha ha, then expect to get treated with some disdain. Yeah. But in this, in the same, in the same vein, if you're an old hunter, keep in mind that this puzzle's fluid, right? We're, we're constantly learning new things about this puzzle that negate things that we knew, you know, two weeks ago, a lot of the stuff that we told you on the earlier podcasts within a year and a half, we found out that shit's wrong, right? A lot of the things that we knew for a fact five years ago, wrong, completely wrong. So also keep like, you can't just say this is a, this is an established fact and anything that contradicts it is wrong. You have to remember that this puzzle is constantly evolving. The more information we find, the more the puzzle changes. So some of our established facts will turn out to be wrong. So you have to keep an open mind. So this is a good segue into another question that we got from Jess. Is the wiki a good place to, to go find information? What do you guys think? I mean, nobody's a fan of the wiki. So I think the uh, wiki is is a good place to pull some ideas. Uh, it's I, I, The wiki presents their information as this is the actual answer. It's 100% guaranteed we know it's correct. The wiki has not dug up any casks, so that for itself. Um, but it doesn't. It, 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 I, I would not tell you don't go there, but just when you go there, read the information with a grain of salt. Good call. The images on the wiki are about as good as you can get online. No, no they're they're really bad. Twelvetreasures.com. Uh, George painstakingly rescanned everything and so if you want to put up a billboard of your favorite image you can do that when when i first started looking i went to the wiki and uh i had seen a whole bunch of like images elsewhere and uh the 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 high quality ones were the, uh, on the wiki were the ones that uh were the best ones that i could yeah find. but they they weren't the colors weren't correct for the book and they weren't in a really high resolution. The, 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 the images that are on the wiki are probably over 10 years old. They were done by, I forget who did them on quest for treasure. And they were just sort of modified. The wiki's got a weird history in that it started out as this really community based thing. And it was just sort of taken over by one dude. And now it's populated by that one dude's ideas. And that one dude is sort of stuck in his ideas. Like any evidence to the contrary of his ideas doesn't get published. You don't see that. So when he tells you one of his solves in Charleston says that the cask was buried at the capstan, right? Where the capstan monument was um, in Charleston, but that uh, the capstan, when the capstan monument was removed, the wiki says that they dug up the area around the footer and all of that dirt was removed and the cask was probably destroyed when they reinstalled the new footers or whatever. Um, it, on 12 Treasures, there's an article about the removal for the capstan, which says that an archaeologist was there. An archaeologist did the digging. They just dug underneath the footer of the old capstan and they cataloged every single thing that they found. They found a piece of pottery, they found a couple of bones, and they found a piece of jewelry. And that was absolutely it. They didn't touch any other area. Nothing else was found. That opens up that whole area again. Like, it's possible the cask is there. Who knows? But the wiki won't tell you that. They just sit on the, it was removed when, you know, they dug up the footer. That's the, that's what's bad about the wiki. It doesn't change. Like, what's, what's there is whatever the guy who owns it believes. 
Here's what I'm arguing. For a person that's first starting, which is what I was doing like three years ago, 12 Treasures wasn't around, right? And um, uh, the only other place that you could go find information was uh, what, something awful? There was a, you know, a little bit of random information there, but also uh, Q4T, right? So um, the place where I could go to find sort of unfettered, unthrashed, information and look at pretty decent images where I couldn't find anywhere else what was the wiki, right? I am not arguing that that, that, that guy has got like, he, he goes, the cask, you know, if you read all of the print in there, he goes, uh, oh, the cask is likely in the blah, 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 or the, the cask is likely here, or this hint is likely that, likely, 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 right? Totally disagree with all that. But if you want to look at kind of some arguments for things and some ways that people like sort of dissect some of the images, he's got the grid system. You guys know what I'm talking about? A4, all that. You know, it's not it's not awful. It's not an awful place, but at least go look, see the history of it, and then and then and then come to 12 treasures and see all the awesome images that we have there. Yeah. Two two years ago, two and a half years ago, whatever, the wiki was great. Because it was just populated by information from people for Q4T. The people on Quest for Treasure would find something new and they would put it on the wiki. And that's what would happen. And then when Expedition Unknown came out, everybody sort of flooded the wiki. And the wiki sort of changed in, into it's, you know, it's set in stone. This is what's this, this. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I wouldn't say. If you're a new person getting into the hunt, I would not say go to the wiki. Here's my personal story and my experience with the wiki. Um, before we had 12 treasures, before I knew about Q4T, the wiki was my resource. And for those of you that don't know, Roanoke is, is the puzzle I, I'm spending the most time with, I'm most interested in. And so I visited the wiki and the wiki tells you it's buried under the CRO tree or next to it in the theater in Roanoke. So when my wife and I took our first trip out there, I said, hey, why don't we go check out the theater and see what's going on? So you walk up to the tree. The tree is not on ground. There is no ground. It's it's on a wooden raised platform that's covered with a very fine layer of dirt for theatrical purposes. It's not possible to bury anything there. So whoever put that together on Wiki and, and said this, this is the solve just never even visited the site. Um, and that's when I learned, Hey, maybe this isn't the best resource. Right. Right. But you got to figure that out on your own. Right. And it just takes kind of incorporating multiple sources in order for you to get educated enough on the hunt so that, so that you understand that. Well, you don't have to figure it out on your own anymore. We put a video walkthrough of Fort Raleigh on, on uh, 12 treasures. We showed you that it's just on a platform of wood. On our Facebook page, there's also a um, 360 walk around of uh, the park as well. So Debbie uh, asked, is it worth buying an original or can I get the information that I need from one of the reprints? So everybody asks that question, right? And the originals are going for like, I think one sold today for $350 online. Like if you collect books, totally buy an original. You don't collect books, don't even worry about it. Um, all of the, the book is online in PDF. Like you can get it for free. You can download it from just about anywhere, right? It's fully available. Uh, so you get the story, you get all the words, the pictures are online. 
the the pictures that you get on 12 treasures are like the pictures in the original book are no better than the pictures on 12 treasures. There's nothing lost. There's nothing lost in, in those images. So if you want one and you're willing to shell out, you know, 300 bucks, totally get one. If not, don't worry about it. I've got an original and I have a reprint. Uh, I have to thank you, George, for the for the original that I have. You got this for me, and I totally appreciate it. Um, the there is a crispness in the images. I would say uh, from the original to the you know compared to the to the reprint that um, you know is, is superior in quality. Um, but I I think you could find those. I think you can find the exact same thing online. Um, I like, although for me, uh, from a nostalgia standpoint and, and from just, you know, having it, I, I like having, I like having an original. Oh yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got every copy of the secret that's ever been published aside from the second printing of the first edition. I got the hardback, I got the original, I got all the Japanese. Um, and I'm in the process of getting the crappy reprints now. So yeah, it's important to me to have the originals, but not because they're you know, they're better than what's online. Like I got, I got sitting in front of me a couple of 4k monitors, 48 inch monitors. And I love being able to, you know, open the images on that rather than looking at them as like seven inch pictures on a, on a page. Right. Especially for the people who think that there are super tiny details that are hidden and weird orbs and stuff online is the way to go. Um, I don't, I don't think you're missing anything by not having the original by only using what's available online. I'd have to completely agree. Um, you, you don't need an original. Uh, if you are a collector, absolutely. I, I am lucky enough to say I have an original. Um, again, echoing Brett, thank you, George. He helped make that happen. Um, JJP was gracious enough to sign it, um, as well as George's copy while we were there. Um, so it's super special to me. It does not leave my bookshelf now. Um, it's actually not even on my bookshelf. It's in a, a drawer that's part of my bookshelf. So that's not even there to collect dust. And I only bring it out to show uh, to friends and family. Um, I highly recommend that you either buy a reprint or get the digital version of the reprint, because when you are boots on the ground, it's really nice to be able to pull out a book that you really don't care if it gets dirty or muddy. Um, but you can easily reference everything in the book while you are on site boots on the ground. So that's why I own the reprint. Um, but no, the, the original is not necessary, but man, I love it. I mean, I've got a, I got a surface that's got the PDF on it. So if I'm out, like I take my surface with me and I can put, but that's not as, it's not as, it's not the same as having a book. Like even, even just the reprints, if, if all you've got is the reprints and then you've got, you know, the images from 12 treasures on your phone, you're good. That's all you need. Good stuff. Um, okay. And finally, we had a question from Marilyn. She wants to know, uh, she is, uh, she's wants to go on a vacation and it sounds like she's going to go to Houston. Okay. If she's going to bring her family on vacation, but wants to dig while she's there, clearly she has to fly. How does she go dig with her family? Just buy a shovel. Plan plan the vacation to spend time with your friends and family, and just make this part of that. Um, don't don't center your entire trip around that. Don't um, alienate your your friends and family while you're there. It's a a quick way to make this something that people hate about you. Uh, so. <laughs> 
include your friends and family in this. Uh, make it a part of the trip. Make sure you invite them to go along with you. Um, enjoy the zoo. Enjoy the other things around there. Don't make it just about the dig. And um, as far as tools, um, obviously you're going to want, uh, if, if you have a place you want to probe and or dig, um, you know, maybe if you have contacts there, somebody you can borrow from, so you're not spending money. Cause I, I imagine I've, I've never tried to fly with a shovel. Um, but I imagine it would be difficult. You can go to like REI or a camping store and get a military folding shovel, which from what I understand, um, and maybe you can put that in your carry, not your carry on, but your checked baggage. Um, and you know, call well ahead of time and, uh, state your intentions to, you know, the park officials and let them know why, why you're going to be there, that you're going to have your friends and family with you and that, um, you know, this is what you're interested in doing. And, you know, take the advice that we talked about earlier, um, about how to approach that topic with park officials, um, so that you're not cutting your vacation short and spending vacation money on bail. Yeah. My, my two pieces of advice kind of harken back to what I said before. Um, there's, there's crap loads of people on the Facebook page that are in Houston that'll let you borrow a shovel. Just tell people, hey, I'm going to Houston, but I don't have any tools. Somebody will let you borrow one. Or if you're if you're cool with the parks department and you're getting permission, ask them to lend you a shovel. Like it's the parks department. They've got them and they and they don't mind. Like if you're flying in from New Mexico to Houston and you want to dig a spot and they're cool with you digging that spot, if you tell them, hey, I can't bring a shovel on the plane, can I borrow one of yours? They're gonna let you. So A, one of the community members will help you. Um, or B, just ask the parks. Then they'll loan you one, or you can, or you can go buy one. We know somebody that might have access to a backhoe. Yeah, yeah, you can rent a backhoe from any like, uh, like Suncoast Rentals. They'll rent you a backhoe. And if you're going to Houston, feel free to stop in and check out the gorilla exhibit and see if they're carrying around a ceramic box. Very nice. Okay, I have one last question. It's from Jerry in San Antonio. It has been difficult for me to get into Q4T. I do not have a login or a password. What am I missing? Lots. You're missing lots. Um, it's, it's important to remember that this, this treasure hunt's gone on for years, years, 40 years. And the past 20 years of it is on that message board. So... I mean, most of the most of the common knowledge now is out there. It's easy to pick up on Facebook or, you know, the podcasts or wherever. But the history of the hunt is equally important. And it's all on that message board. Um, anybody who is in any way serious about this hunt, if you don't have an account there, you're missing out. So go get one. It's free. As opposed to something awful, which costs money. And I, I, I mean, like I, I like something awful. Um, because I know the people on there, but it's not, you don't need something awful. You need quest for treasure. You absolutely need. So I, I took that question completely differently than George. Whenever I heard, what am I missing? I thought he was asking, I'm having trouble setting up login. What am I missing? And the answer, if it's been a while since I set up my account, but the answer I think is unknown or we don't know something to that effect. Oh, the secret answer. So the, the question is, um, so when you're setting up an account at quest for treasure, um, they have, they had a bad problem with spam recently, like 
six, eight months ago, they had all these porn bots coming in and posting porn links. And the, the admin for Quest for Treasure is kind of hands off. His name's Mark. He's got other things going on, but he likes to keep the site active for people. So to combat the spam, he just set up a security question. And it's a question that people who are into armchair treasure hunts know the answer to. But somebody who just came in because they like an, ex, uh, an Expedition Unknown episode would not know the answer to it. The question is, where is the golden key buried? And nobody knows where the golden key is buried. So the answer is unknown. Um, so when it asks you that question, just type in unknown and you'll, you'll get right through. But I have to agree completely with George's comments. That is a treasure trove of information. Um, Q4T in itself is a treasure hunt for clues. Um, it, it, you, can, you can spend months, years reading, and it's all worth it. Oh, yeah. There's thousands and thousands of pages. What I thought was cool was when uh, Brian and Andy found the Cleveland cask, all of the information, you know, thereafter was on there and they talked about, you know, finding the cask and how cool it was. And um, I, I, I think it's fascinating. It's a little bit hard to dig through and find all of the information that you want, um, but there's a lot of cool stuff in there. So, you know, tread lightly, I guess, is the answer. They're a little finicky on Quest for Treasure. Kind of stay with their their stay with their post format. And if you come out and you're like everybody's wrong and I know all the answer, they're gonna destroy you. Um, <laughs> late late yeah. But you know, as long as you're respectful, there's a lot there's a lot of good information on there, especially from the past. This thing working? Can you hear? Okay, look, it's working. Pop, pop, pop. Okay. Don't pop my. What are your What are your questions? Do you even have your questions? Are you even recording now? Yeah, you're recording now. Oh, okay. Um, well. You gotta go get your questions, don't you? No, I guess yes, I do. Them. Yes, I do. Destiny is unprepared. Stop. This is ASMR with George and Destiny, and Destiny is unprepared. This is ASMR. 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 Elvis, ASMR.